All right, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, there is going to be communion today, um, and there's, there's a table in the back if you want to get your little fellowship snack, uh, wafer thing, uh, fellowship cup, that's it. Um, yeah, it, it is there. Um, hey, before we uh, go any further, I did want to give one other um, just brief update. <clears throat> um, in your Inu Hope, uh, we, we try to update periodically as often as we can um, where we are as far as giving numbers are concerned. Uh, and a couple of folks have mentioned uh, the past weeks in, in, in coming out of the uh, 2021 um, that, that, that there's a significant shortfall. Uh, and that shortfall is, is real, um, although the reason why the numbers may seem a little bit um, uh, are as large as they are is because we treat December as a double month. Um, so um, our, actually, our, our, our current financial situation is actually pretty healthy, uh, but I did want to just draw your attention to that. As you can watch those numbers, usually it takes us a couple of months um, to, to make up for the fact that we usually treat December as a, as a double month. So. Um, just uh, if you have any questions ever about uh, finances uh, and about church budget, you can you can ask me or you can ask our treasurer Rich Fa- Rick Faint or uh, any of our elders, which uh, their information is in the uh, in the bulletin, uh, not the bulletin that you knew of, because we don't do it in bulletins anymore. Um, maybe we'll get back to that one day, but who knows? Anyway, so um, <clears throat> okay, we are going to step on the gas a little bit this morning. Uh, the book of John, uh, as we've talked about before, book of John separated into two parts, uh, and we want to make it to the second half, or the, or the second half of the book of John, which is considered the upper room discourse. We want to make it to the second half by the start of Lent, which, believe it or not, is in four and a half weeks. Uh, so that means we're not going to be able to kind of look at the entire book of, the, of John throughout this series, although that's really not true. Because there's actually nothing keeping you from filling in the gaps and, and reading on your own during your quiet time throughout the week. Uh, if you like any help with that, let me know. But last week, we, we read this story. We heard this story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, we heard Jesus sit with this powerful man who came to him in the middle of the night, this powerful man of God, and he, he told them that they told him that unless he was born again, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. We learn that God's desire for us all is that we would be born of water, meaning cleansed and forgiven of our sins, but also born of spirit, meaning empowered to be the people that we were created to be. Practically speaking, that's what Christianity is all about. It's about confessing our sins to Jesus, who alone can make us clean, and then surrendering our lives to him as he alone can empower us by his Holy Spirit to live the lives we were always meant to live. That's what it means to be born again. And Jesus is very clear that this is the path of life. And apart from this path, is death. Later on in John's gospel, we'll hear Jesus tell us that he is the way, the truth, the life. We'll hear him tell us that no one can come to the Father except it's that through him. And, you know, that might seem offensive to our ears because we want God to tell us that there's, yeah, you know, there's many paths up the mountain, but that's not the story that we're given. We're given a story that clearly sees Jesus as the one true king, as Israel's Messiah, 
who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In order that those who believe in him would not perish, but, but start living eternity now. Jesus and Nicodemus is that's chapter 3, and, and we have to make it to chapter 6 today. So we're going to hop in our, in, our, in our biblical Ferrari, and, and we're going to go for a drive, right? At the end of chapter 3, we see John the Baptist as we start our drive. At the end of chapter 3, we see John the Baptist and his disciples, and we kind of, as we drive past, we, we hear him say, you know, he must increase and I must decrease. See, John's saying that he prepared the way, but now Jesus is the way. Then as we enter into chapter 4, we drive, through, we drive north through Samaria, and we see this monumentally important conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. And you look at me and you say, you know, if this is so important, why aren't we stopping? And I look back to you and I say, weren't you at house church this week? Jesus tells this woman that he has come to bring living water, and, and he does the most amazing thing. He tells her that, that he's the Messiah, and she becomes the first evangelist to the Samaritan people. She starts a revival, but, but we're moving. We're driving fast. Ferraris are fast, so, so no time to stop there. And at the end of chapter 4, we see Jesus uh, perform what John called his, his second sign. You'll remember that, that Jesus turning water to wine at the, at the wedding in Cana was the, was the first sign. But now we see him return to Cana and heal the son of an important official, a nobleman, maybe even a centurion. This, this kid was, was seconds from death, but, but his father goes to Jesus and asks him to heal his son. And as we drive past, we hear Jesus say, go, go home, your son will live. And immediately the kid is healed. And then we get into chapter 5, and we drive past the, the pool of Bethesda, and we see Jesus heal a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. For 38 years, he'd not been able to, to move and walk, and Jesus just looks at him and says, do you want to be healed? Which is an important question for anyone, needing to, uh, for any, for anyone to answer uh, who needs to be healed. But do you actually want to be made well? But, but our guy actually doesn't even answer him. He just, he just tells Jesus that he's unable to get into the pool, which they thought would have like healing powers. But again, Jesus just says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And he does. And as we drive through the second half of chapter 5, we hear Jesus give this amazing teaching on how he and the Father are intimately connected in all purpose. This teaching builds on what we saw at the beginning of John's gospel, how Jesus and the Father of, are one. Of course, I blew through all of that because Ferraris are fast, especially biblical Ferraris. You should go back and read it all. But now, we slam on the brakes, and we arrive at chapter 6 at the Sea of Galilee. We get out of the car. We start following a large crowd all moving in the same direction. Turns out this crowd is following Jesus who had been doing all these signs and healing all these people. And Jesus goes up on the mountain and he sits down with his disciples and he, and he looks at his, his disciple Philip. He says, Philip, where are we to buy bread so all these people can eat? And you, you kind of imagine Philip just like saying... <laughs> like looking down at these thousands of people that were there and like, yeah, right, you know. And Jesus said, no, no, I'm serious. How are we going to feed all these people? See, some of us guys, 
just took part in a Bible study this past fall called Questions from the Master. Each, each week we looked at a different question that Jesus asked. This, this is one they missed. Such an important question. Where are we to buy bread so that all these people might eat? Because John tells us that you know, Jesus said this to test Philip. It was a teaching moment for Philip and the other disciples. I love here that the story begins with a physical need. I mean, sure, it's building to Jesus telling these folks that he himself is the bread of life. But the story begins with Jesus and his disciples trying to figure out how they were going to feed people physical food. Right now, right now in this world that God loves so much, there are 84 million refugees worldwide, people forcibly displaced from their home. And on top of that, there are 689 million people who live on less than $2 a day. And Jesus is looking at his church and he's saying, how are we going to help these people? And yes, sometimes we look back at them and we say, yeah, it's awful, right? And he says, no, 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 I'm serious. These people are in trouble. How are we going to help them? Pay, pay attention to the we in Jesus's question. How are we, you and me, how are we going to feed these people? I mean, this is why organizations like World Relief are so important, but we should never forget that these organizations are the church. They are part of, sent out by, and funded by us. And when I say us, I, I don't just mean like church organizations like New Hope. I mean you, and me, the people of God. We have a responsibility to meet the needs of, of men and women and children in this world. Back to the story. Philip responds to Jesus by saying, look, look, okay, let's just, let's, let's just look, look at this practically here. 200 denarii wouldn't buy enough bread to feed all these people just a little bit. 200 days' wages. Denarius was a day's wage. So 200 days' wages. We, we, we had all that money. We couldn't buy just a, enough to feed all these people just a little bit. Philip is literally standing next to Jesus. He'd seen him turn water into wine. He'd seen him heal maybe hundreds of people. I can picture Jesus kind of looking back at him and saying, Philip, who are you telling this to? But let's cut Philip some slack because Jesus did ask him a money question. Where are we going to buy, where are we going to buy bread? They don't have enough money to buy food. So they bring up the financial situation, which is bleak. And then another disciple, Andrew, he comes up and says, well, all right, here's what I found out. Uh, there's a boy here who has like five barley loaves and two fish, um, but where, what are they to so many? Evidently, this boy had, had offered to share his lunch. I mean, picture this, this, this kid who, who, who sees Jesus and he sees there's this conversation, maybe he, he, he'd heard the disciples going around in the crowd, how are we going to figure this out? And this boy sacrificed everything that he had knowing that it wasn't going to be enough, but he sacrificed it maybe because he trusted in the moment that, that something big was about to happen. Sometimes when we sacrifice what we have and we seem like that's just a meager, just a tiny little amount, we, 
Maybe that's just the step of faith that God wants us to take. Evidently, this boy had offered to share his lunch, to sacrifice his food for the sake of others. And it's a shame we don't get to hear more about him. But Jesus says this. He says, all right, guys, have the people sit down. We, let me tell you what we are going to do. We are going to serve them. We are going to feed hungry people. That's what following me is all about. It was a grassy area, and then we're, we're told that there were just thousands of people. It says there were 5,000 men, with, but with women and, and children, there, there may have been even more than that. The point was that, that this was an outrageous amount of people, and all they had was this kid's lunch. So Jesus takes this bread, and he takes this fish, and what does he do? The first thing he does is he gives thanks. Sidebar, in my younger days, I did some community theater because uh, I ran with a really hip crowd. Um, and, and, and one time I, I did this play called Bo Jest. It was the only time in my uh, acting career that uh, I actually had a, a review given of, of my performance. Uh, and the writer, the, the reviewer uh, said, I, I, I brought to the stage gentle machismo. <laughs> so I was really happy about that. Very, very proud moment, you know. Anyway, Bo Jest was about a Jewish girl who hired a guy to pretend to be, a, 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 to be Jewish, to pretend to be Jewish in order that she might they try to fool their, their Jewish family. Um, and she ends up falling in love with this guy. And I, I played her jealous Gentile boyfriend who she was trying to hide from her parents, of course, until she fell in love with him and kicked me to the curb. Um, anyway, the, 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 the play in, included traditional Jewish meals on stage and um, with meals come prayer, and they would pray this prayer in Hebrew, which I won't attempt. Um, but this week, I, I asked my—I remembered it, and I, I asked my Jewish friend uh, Robin, thank you, Robin, uh, if this was something she was familiar with, and she's, "Oh yeah, we say it all the time." This prayer has ancient roots, and, and commentaries tell us that it's quite possible that this—this this is actually what Jesus would have said when Jesus gave thanks. This could have been what he said over that meal, and and here it is in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. I'm reminded of Paul's words, what, what he said about worrying, like worrying there's not enough. He said, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus takes this boy's lunch, this tiny, seemingly insignificant amount of food, and he thanks God for it. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You bring forth bread from the earth. It always is from you. It always was you, Lord. It's okay to be realistic. It's okay to paint the actual picture and talk about the, the logistics. But, but our job as Jesus followers is to stop worrying and start praying. Stop worrying and start praying in faith that God will resource his people to do the work that he's called them to do. Jesus can provide abundantly more than we can imagine. 
Elsewhere, Jesus says that all it takes is for us to have the faith of a mustard seed. Think of that boy offering his lunch. Jesus, all, we have, all you have to do is have the faith of a mustard seed and you can move mountains. That's not just pie in the sky, naive thinking. We live right now in this world that God loves so much. We live in a nation of tremendous wealth and prosperity. The king of the universe has already provided an outrageous amount of resources needed to solve the world's problems. What's needed right now is men and women to take steps of faith and commit to being part of the solution. Not to have it all on them, right? But to be a part of the solution. I'm going to, to, to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Jesus takes this food, he gives thanks, and then somehow... There's enough food to feed the thousands. And then he tells his disciples, he says, guys, um, gather up all the leftovers so that nothing may be lost. Gather up all these leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. That's an interesting detail. Let's make sure none of these leftovers go to waste. The disciples gave, gather up 12 baskets of leftovers. I don't think that was supposed to be subtle. One basket for each of the tribes of Israel. One basket for each of the disciples. One basket for each of the representatives of God's people. God's plan is to use his people to feed the hungry. That's a sermon right there. Americans throw away something like 40% of our food each year, just in the garbage, Something like $150 billion worth of food is just thrown away. Now, I realize that's not the only piece of information we would need to know to solve the problem of world hunger, but I am saying that our biggest problems aren't resources. The problem is not that there aren't enough loaves and fish to go around. The problem is we often act like it. Edmund Burke often gets quoted for good reason. Nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. Take that tiny mustard seed step of faith and watch. You watch what God will do with it. You watch, kid, what God is going to do when you sacrifice your lunch for the, for the good of another person. I mean, that's scary thought, of course, but we need to remember that Jesus, as we sang this morning, there's another end of fire, we need to remember that Jesus actually is by our side. In fact, it's even better than that. We shouldn't try to get ahead of him, though. After dinner, the people were understandably impressed, and they all charged Jesus. Uh, so, so he made a move to, to, to go farther up the mountain by himself. His disciples get tired of waiting for him, so they, they get in the boat, and they start making their way across the sea, and they get about three or four miles out, and the wind starts up, and the sea starts getting really rough. And at this point, the disciples see something in the middle of the night in this terrifying storm. They see something that terrifies them. They see a person walking on the water towards them. And it's Jesus, and, and he says, It is I. Do not be afraid. Ego e me. It is I. Or, simply, I am. Remember back in Exodus when, when Moses, um, he, 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 he's speaking with God, and, and God is calling him to be the instrument of deliverance for his people? And, and Moses says, uh, hey, uh, when, when the people ask me who it is that sent me, who, who, who should I tell them? And God responds, you tell them, Moses, you tell them that 
I am sent you. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the words translated I am are ego eimi. The same words that Jesus says to his disciples there in that storm. It's okay, guys. I am. The same words. And then he says, don't be afraid. Guys, I'm not promising you that there won't be a storm. I'm not saying that the problems of world hunger and the refugee crisis aren't huge and they deserve to be talked about in, in rational uh, committees or, or you know, with, with, with experts and, and, and people who know what they're talking about. I'm not saying that there aren't logistical concerns. I'm not saying that there isn't going to be a storm. I'm just promising you that I'll be there with you when you are having it, when you're going through that conversation, when you're struggling with it sacrifice a little bit of what you've been given and just watch what I'm going to do with it. Just don't get ahead of me. Sometimes we lament that things aren't happening fast enough. Come on, God, don't you see that your people are dying? And Jesus says, yeah, yes, I see the storm, but if you try and do this without me, you're going to end up rowing aimlessly in the middle of the night. I'm your guide, guys. John says that when they saw him, they were glad to take him into the boat. No kidding. And then they immediately arrived at where they were going. You know, he knows the way because he is the way. So the, the crowds, they track him down, and Jesus tells them, you know, this is the next day. He says, you know, guys, you, you, you aren't here because you saw the signs. I mean, you're not here because you believe that God is on the move. You're here because I filled your stomach. In verse 27, uh, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, this one who's been handed dominion and power and glory, Daniel 7, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal, his seal of approval. Jesus is worthy to be the one who leads the way. When Jesus stands up and gives the Sermon on the Mount, he is worthy to have authority over the law and say, this is what it looks like to truly be Israel. This is what it looks like to truly be my people. And then they say, well, what, what, what do we have to do? The crowd says, what, what do we have to do? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, guys. Here, here, here it is, that you believe in him who has sent, who, whom he has sent, in, in whom God has sent, that you actually believe that I can accomplish the things that I've asked you to do. You, you guys are here for the wrong reasons. You're here for a miracle rather than to meet the one who performed the miracle. Did you ever read uh, Charlotte's Web as a kid? Charlotte the spider spells out, you know, some pig in her web, and, and everyone's, yeah, that's some pig. It seems to me like the spider is <laughs> some spider, right? The spider's more impressive than the pig. Jesus says, you're, you're not here because of the sign. If you were, you'd, you'd, you'd look at what the sign was pointing to. You're here because I, I did a trick. And you either want to be entertained with more tricks or you want to be fed. But what does it mean to follow Jesus? The reason he did the sign was that we would believe. What does it mean to do the work of God? It's faith. 
that you believe in him and in, in whom God has sent, that you believe that, that Jesus has the power and the authority and the sovereignty, that he is worthy to sit on the throne, that you believe that, and so that when you take that step of faith, you are only trusting in your king. So the crowd says, well, all right, all right. What, what sign will you perform that will, will believe you? You know, he's already done plenty. What, like, how, much, how many more things, like how many more blessings do you want God to put in your life? How much more do you want God to bless your life? He has already done so much. How many more incredible things do you need to see God do before you believe him? And they said, well, um, you remember how Moses fed the people manna back in the wilderness? Is that what you're going to do? And Jesus says, well, it wasn't Moses who fed the people. It, it was God. See, he is the king of the universe who provides true bread from heaven. It comes down from heaven and then gives life to the world. And the people say, oh, great. Well, that sounds good. Give us some of this bread so we can eat always. So they're still so short-sighted. They are still so focused on the temporary. And Jesus is trying to get them to see the eternal. And then he says it. He says, guys, don't you get it? I am, ego me." I am the bread of life. Who, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I love how the message translates the rest of the passage. He, uh, it says, I've told you explicitly because even though you have seen me in action, you, you don't really believe me. Every person the Father gives me will eventually come running to me. And once that person is with me, I hold on and I don't let go. I came down from heaven not to follow my own agenda, but to accomplish the will of the one who sent me. This, in a nutshell, is, is, what, is that will. This, in a nutshell, is that will. That everything handed over to me by the Father will be completed. Not a single detail will be missed. And at the wrap-up of, of time, I have everything and everyone put together, upright and whole. This is what my Father wants. That anyone who sees the Son and trusts who he is and what he does and then aligns with him will enter real life, eternal life. My part, Jesus says, is to put them on their feet alive and whole at the completion of time. You see, the crowds wanted bread that would fill their bellies for a day, but Jesus was offering them bread that would make them whole Bread that would enliven them for eternity. Enliven them for what? To feed the world in every way that the world needs to be fed. Physically, yeah. Spiritually, of course. But also mentally, emotionally, socially. Jesus wants to heal it all. Jesus wants to make you complete. And what does it mean to make you complete? What do you need to be complete? You need him. But it will take a faith that is more than just what God can do for you. It's a faith that steps out in anticipation of what he will accomplish through you. You see, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace in outrageous abundance the bread baskets are full. The wine containers are filled to the brim. He wants to feed us from his table 
in order that we might take the leftovers back out into the world. But that takes sacrifice, right? After Jesus fed the crowd, they were so impressed, they wanted to make him king. And that's why he had to retreat into the mountains. Hey, this guy can feed the masses. Let's put a crown on his head. But that would have been the easy way out. And that's not the way of the gospel. That's not the way of cruciformity. Jesus knew that there would be no kingdom without a cross. The crown would be a crown of thorns. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, they're going to have to take up their own, cra- uh, their own cross. To, to follow Jesus into eternal life is the path of sacrificial love. In the worst times, that will mean that we'll have to keep our eyes fixed on hope, even in the midst of severe persecution. But man, I beg you to read some of church history and see that actually... The church has continued to thrive in the, in the time periods of the most intense persecution. God does amazing things through times of persecution. And then in the best times, it's not that bad, good times are wrong, but in the best times, it's going to mean humility. It's going to be willingness to sacrifice what we've been given and to share in God's abundance with the people that need it. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, Consider consider these words from Jesus later on in in chapter 6. Truly, truly, amen, amen. I'll tell you like it is straight up. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Heavy stuff. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, so he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread our fathers ate, which... Our fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. It is an ironic tragedy that those words have caused so much division and bloodshed throughout church history. And they are difficult to take, this, this, this business of eating flesh and drinking blood. Oh gosh, that, seems, that sounds really, that sounds nuts, but yeah, it is nuts. The idea is that we are supposed to take part in the crucifixion, we are, we are to see ourselves there. We are to, to take up our cross when we follow him. I mean, for my part, I'm happy to leave the logistics of the Eucharist to, in the camp of mystery. But it is clear that, that when we come to the Lord's table, we are suppo- that the coming to the Lord's table is supposed to be an exercise that drives us to recall his sacrificial love poured out for us on the cross, and we're supposed to see ourselves there. I mean, think about Paul's most common, most, his, probably his favorite prepositional phrase in the New Testament, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. What does it mean for us to, to step out into the world and help to solve the world's deepest problems? It means that we need to be in Christ. We need to walk the path of cruciformity. We need to be and walk the path of sacrificial love. 
We come to the table for the bread of life and the wine of forgiveness. We're nourished by the love of Christ, but we are enlivened to take that love that we have been given and boldly re-enter the world that God loves so dearly. That is what following Jesus, that's what mean, being in Christ is all about, following that path of sacrificial love to serve those who are in need. And with that, um, as we come to the communion table, our, 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 the, the, like I said, the uh, elements are in the back. Um, the worship team is going to come up in a few minutes and, and, and play a, a tune as you can kind of uh, spend a few minutes with God as thinking about um, what does it mean to, to live out this sacrificial life? What's, what's your lunch that God is calling you to sacrifice? Maybe it's a little bit of money. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's talent, treasure. I don't, I don't know what it is, but what is, what is God calling you to take? Just one little step of faith, one little thing. Here's my lunch. Here's my, here's my $20. I don't know what it is, but here's the thing that I can bring to the table, Lord, and I trust that you will multiply it like loaves and fishes to feed the thousands, to be the hope that this world needs so much. One of the things that we do at New Hope to remind us of uh, the love that God has for us is that before we take communion, we recite the Nicene Creed. So would you please stand with us and as churches throughout the centuries have done, recite the creed.